Welcome to episode one of the International Football Show from the Short Pass. Hello, I'm Scott Salter. I wanted to tell you a bit about the Short Pass. We're a new site started by myself and some of my fellow former colleagues in bed with Maradona. Our aim is to provide interesting and digestible content for the football fan with a busy life. Think short articles, one to two minute reads that give you the information you need to keep up to date with the game we all love. We'll also be creating videos and podcasts like this one. We launch on April 1st, but for now, here's the International Football Show. Joining me is my colleague at the Short Pass, and Bundesliga and Bayern Munich writer Susie Scharf. Enjoy! Hey Susie, how are you? I am fantastic, Scott. How are you today? I'm really good, yeah. Um, I'm getting really excited. Obviously, we're, we're getting really near to launch date. Um, it's a little over a week to go, so I'm really excited for that. Yeah, for sure. A um, lot, lot of hard work going in from behind the scenes but I think it'll be really worth it once we get there. Yep uh, I'm excited just to get it all started and to have uh, content go public and everybody see uh, what we're all about. Definitely. So um, I thought we'd start first of all um, just I want to know what what you thought about international football. Are you you a fan? Are you you one of these people that um, is very much club over country or what's your view? Um, honestly, it's switched to club over country now. Um, I think growing up, uh, I came by, I came by my homerism for Bayern Munich through the way, through the German national team. Uh, so as a kid, obviously living in the States, uh, the U S never made it to anything. So, um, <laughs> considering not, not my entire, too much. Yeah. And then my family was German and Brazilian. Right. So my dad lived in Brazil, but he was German. And my mom, of course, was from Germany. So then I had two massive national teams to pick from. And actually, when I was small, 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 and I was still going to Brazil all the time, I picked Brazil over Germany. And then uh, I think when I started playing footy and realized that I was not any sort of special talent, I was just more <laughs> kind of a grinder and a tackler that uh the German national team was going to be the one for me. And it's kind of carried on like that to this day. <laughs> yeah, I guess um, for me, um, I'm Welsh, um, but I live in England. So it's always really interested me, the um, the attitudes in England towards the international breaks. Um, for me as a Welshman, I, I love it. I'm really excited all the time for the international break. Um Obviously now, you know, we're half decent, but even when we were pretty crap, you know, in the days of Sparky and, and John Toshak managing, um, when I was growing up, I sort of really looked forward to it. But, you know, my friends here in England, they're always dreading the international break, um, which I think is really interesting, the attitude, considering they are probably the most successful um, out of Wales and England in, in recent years, um, but they, they just don't care for international football at all. Yeah, it's 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 kind of an interesting dichotomy. I mean, I think uh, plenty of people in Germany very very highly support DFB, of course. Um, 
but then they look at club football and how it's how how it's how it's interrupted by the international breaks yeah. that gives everybody um a lot of pause mainly mainly people say you know just come back healthy that's that's all we care about yeah <laughs> there's been quite a few interesting discussions um over here between between pundits i'm not sure if you would have seen it um it was sort of Jermaine Genus and Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard, I think, were having a chat about when they'd go to international duty and, and it would kind of just disrupt their rhythm. Um, you know, they would they would be training very, you know, intense to a high level, particularly Gerrard and Lampard at Liverpool and Chelsea with, you know, high quality teammates and the same style. And then they would go away, away on England duty and, and it would disrupt that and then you know, they've come back maybe a bit lethargic. The methods wouldn't be the same that they were used to. Um, and I guess that attitude is then transferred to the fans who have seen their players coming back from international duty probably a bit rusty or not not at the same high standard they were before they left. And that's affected the attitudes. Yeah, um, there's something to be said for that. It, probably the, the international break I hate the most is the one that comes right at the beginning of the club season. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's like two or three weeks in. And that one is just freaking terrible. I mean, that's awful. You know, these guys have they've been prepping and they're, you know, finally getting their their club form together and what their squads, you know, might look like yeah. uh, as they're starting to approach uh, the European season, too. And then all of a sudden they get ripped out um, for a couple of weeks to go off and play. I don't know. You know, you don't find many like great matchups there either. They're playing San Marino or or some stuff like that. Yeah, and I'm and pretty, sh- I'm pretty sure it falls in in the transfer window as well. There's always these deals they're trying to rush through, and and they're away on international duty. Yeah. It's just... <laughs> that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. No. Um, but you know, as as we're coming up now of course, right before everybody travels to Russia or not in the case of a few big teams. Um, Well, uh, as an American and then as as a Welshman myself, neither of us are are going. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, they, they become, they become more useful. I mean, I don't know, you know, I hate it to break up the champions league season uh, for me personally as a, as a Bayern supporter, but, um, of course, these these next two matches are absolutely necessary to figure out what teams are going to do going forward, I think. Okay, that, I guess that leads me on nicely to, to the first um, sort of topic we're going to look at, which is this these upcoming friendlies. Do you view them more as um, mm-hmm. a way for players to confirm their way, their place in the squad, or do you view it more as a, a, a practice, a to prepare for the World Cup against, you know, because um, European teams might be playing South American teams that they don't usually play against. So quite a lot of the friendlies um, involve matchups against uh, opponents of the same continent that your group opponents are in. Right. You know, I think now this is no, no national coach is going to be reinventing the wheel right now. You know, yeah. um, I think I think these two matches are more for uh, figuring out 
you know, really who that team of the initial team of 26 is going to be before they start nailing it down to the final 23. Um, This gives maybe the opportunity for guys on the fringes of clubs to uh, get a few minutes in and uh, maybe show their stuff and make or not make their national teams. Yeah, yeah. There's really interesting um, Michael Cox, who's at zone underscore marking on on Twitter. And he Mm -hmm. did a little thread about... um, the geographical proximity of, of opponents to the group group stage opponents. And he did a little group by group guide and, you know, um, Russia are playing Brazil, for example, because they've got Uruguay in their, in their group. Um, trying to see who else it is. Chile uh, play, sorry, Denmark are playing um, Chile, you know, and they've got Peru in their group. Um, right. So it's quite interesting to, to see almost every single team in every single group has has gone for that approach. Um, and it's quite interesting looking back at the last World Cup, um, the approaches, I took, looked at the approach that Germany took and the approach that England took. Um, I think Germany traditionally, which is something I love about the German team, is they always seem to just want to play the best teams. Yeah. You know, you can guarantee that Germany will have a friendly against England, Brazil, Spain, one of those teams, always. Um, but in 2014, you know, Germany in their, who obviously won the tournament, in their group they had America, Portugal and Ghana. Um, and in their friendlies they played Poland and Armenia from Europe. Um, they played Chile, but they also played Cameroon, um, obviously, to, to get used to an African side with Ghana in their group. Interestingly, they didn't play a North American team, but Jurgen Klinsmann was the manager at the time of America, so perhaps um, they had a good idea of how he they... might set up his side. Right, right. Wow, that's fascinating. I, uh, that gives me uh, some some things to chew on mentally uh, <laughs> going forward, definitely. Yeah, I, I did read that thread, and I found that kind of fascinating. I don't... Does it... I mean... Does that really, is that helpful, do you think? Um, Because, I mean, like Cameroon and Ghana play different football, you know, just to use that as an example. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, looking at England from the 2014 World Cup, in their group they had Costa Rica, Uruguay and Italy. Um, So they played two friendlies and they concentrated on sort of South American and Central American teams. Um, they played Ecuador and Honduras um, and obviously England finished bottom of their group so perhaps it's not so helpful <laughs> um, we'll see uh, it'll be in, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on it this time around and see and see how things uh, pan out I suppose yeah definitely um, in terms of obviously the friendlies that are taking place um, are there any that that you're looking forward to that you think will be some nice matchups. I'm guessing the the Germany ties. Yeah, I, obviously, obviously the Germany ties. I mean, matches against Brazil and Spain are are never a bad thing. Um, I wonder, I wonder how uh, wholeheartedly they'll go into the matches. Um, of course, like I said, nobody wants to get hurt. Um, the Brazil one is definitely interesting because a lot of people would say that that might be a final mm. in Russia. I mean, obviously Spain is a good shout as well. 
Um, so yeah, those two, of course, for me, and I have to write about them. So <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely on the top of my list. Um, I find the and I find the England selections of of Netherlands and Italy uh, like so so fascinating, uh, only because especially for the Netherlands, this is the first really uh, step in them rebuilding their squad. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's um, I think Holland will be really gunning for England in that one. Like you said, they're rebuilding their squads. Um, this is the first game under Ronald Koeman, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they've had a, a pretty, pretty uh, sort of tiresome and an awful last couple of years, haven't they? Um, Holland's been quite, quite sad to to look at their their sort of downfall. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see what Koeman does. He's I saw he announced Van Dijk as as the new national team captain today. Um, so I think that's that's probably a good appointment and a good player to sort of lead lead the team on the field. And you know we've seen the effect he can have at Liverpool already, um, and that leadership. So yeah, it, be... it it was really sad to see. I mean, their drop was so precipitous, right? Yeah. <clears throat> from going from excuse me one of the, one of the absolute best teams, tournament teams especially, in the world, to just bleh, nothing. Ugh. Yeah. And yeah. even though they're they're Germany's greatest rival, uh, you know, you want them in the tournament. You don't want them not in the tournament. Definitely, definitely. I think what's interesting, you say saying England have chosen to play Holland and, and Italy, that they're two, um, two countries that traditionally have um, quite distinct styles. Um, you know, obviously Holland and, and traditionally the, the total football, but they like to to play football sort of on the ground and play it properly, whereas Italy are a lot more um, of a defensive-minded team, um, obviously Cantonaccio, and, and, and playing a deep defensive block. So it's interesting to see how whether Southgate will differ his approaches between the two games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, I think there's some really, really interesting um, interesting ties. Tomorrow there's Argentina-Italy, which I think will be, be a really interesting um, game. Obviously, Italy have gone through a, a, a poor qualifying campaign as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. Obviously mentioned Germany, Spain, and then Holland, England. Um, then on Tuesday, obviously Germany, Brazil. Um, is this the first time Germany and Brazil have met since um, that infamous Germany win in the Brazilian yes. World Cup? It is, yep. yeah. <laughs> that will, uh, what's your Boy, take on that? I... It'll be interesting. Can I can I tell you about that? <laughs> Something really funny. There's um, I bought a shirt from a from a, a United States thing afterwards commemorating the win, and it's and it said um, even I scored against Brazil, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. And it has the uh, Brazilian flag, but it's done in German colors, right? <laughs> and it's an absolutely it's a brilliant T-shirt, and I'm wearing it out. And this is a couple years ago. And uh, my car breaks down, and I'm in, like, the Brazilian section of uh, Pompano Beach. This is in South Florida, right? And uh, I'm waiting for a tow truck, and I walk into a bodega, right? So I can get something to drink, and I'm going to get some smokes or whatever. And I walk in, and I get the death glare from everybody <laughs> from everybody in, in the store, right? And I'm, like, the nicest person in the world. I'm smiley, you know, blonde, happy, whatever. And uh, I can't figure out what what the heck is going on. 
and I get up to the counter to pay for pay for my stuff and three people behind the counter and then I see them looking at my shirt and I look down and I just went, oh my God, I am so sorry. <laughs> and I just left everything there and walked out of the store. Uh-huh. Probably the worst p- neighborhood to break down in wearing that yeah, T-shirt. Exactly. <laughs> I'm surprised the mob didn't come after me. <laughs> but yeah, you know, the, um, there are a lot of Brazilians here, and they still feel it every day. It's yeah. it's kind of amazing what it did to what that did to the psyche of that country and the football psyche of that country. Um, it'll be interesting. There'll be, I think there'll be a lot of, uh, there'll be a lot of passion, uh, even though it's a friendly in this turn, you know, for this match, just yeah. because they're trying to uh, get rid of some demons and possibly right some wrongs before the tournament. Definitely, yeah, I think that game, particularly for Brazil, isn't about um, preparing for the World Cup. It is a chance to, um, I guess, put that behind them as, as they go into the next World Cup. Um, right. You know, the last thing they they want is that sort of looming over their shoulders when when they're trying to concentrate on on the World Cup. Um, yeah. So yeah. While while we're on the World Cup, quickly, um, who are you backing? Who's your, who's your favorite to win? I'm guessing Germany. Yeah, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Germany. <laughs> yeah, Brazil Brazil's done some really interesting things though. Um, they they do look very fluid and very good. Um, like I said, I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt if that ends up being bracket wise possible if if that was going to be a final. Um, Ar- Argentina doesn't look so bad either, and then of course you know you you've got the Spanish national team, which is always great. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, and yeah, I gotta I gotta say Germany. I gotta stick with stick with my home team. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad shout. I think France have probably got a good shout as well. They've got really um, strong squads, and you know we'll look at that in, in in a second. But you know, comparative to to Germany in terms of the quality and depth, I think. Absolutely, yeah. We we are going to talk about France. I was going to say maybe as a dark horse, I would yeah. choose choose France as you know like third or you know third or fourth pick. Okay, so obviously a lot of the um, the attention in the UK is obviously the only uh, British side in the World Cup is is on England, and obviously the the England squad that that Gareth Southgate is named. Um, there's sort of quite a few surprises in there. Um, Lewis Cook from Bournemouth, um, Jake Livermore is in there again. Alfie Mawson from Swansea, Nick Pope from Burnley, uh, James Tarkovsky from Burnley as well. What what are your initial sort of thoughts when you looked at that that squad Susie as as a um you know potential rival it um i'm not familiar very well with the new call-ups so uh, the the team in general uh comes off maybe as a a bit of a surprise so there's some guys that i can take a look at that i really haven't seen obviously, obviously i don't watch every uh every premier league match um and then uh, reminding ourselves that Harry Kane is not in, yeah, and that uh, Jack Wilshire just got hurt in training, 
So he'll be out for possibly both matches. Um, interesting to see uh, how the team is put together, especially against, like like we said in the last segment, about, you know, against two sides that are rebuilding their football as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I think when I first looked at, at the squad, and obviously we've got to remember, like I said, Harry Kane... Um, is absent and I think he'd be the the first name on the team sheet. Um, I might sound a little bit biased as a Welshman saying this, but I think <laughs> it's it's one of the weakest England squads um, pre-tournament that I remember for a long time. I think for years a lot of the sort of um, first eleven picked itself. Um, you know, Gerard Lampard, Ferdinand, Terry. Um, Neville, Ashley Cole, you know, there was eight, nine players that that picked themselves that you knew would be absolutely would be starting, right? And looking at this this squad, um, I'm going to include Harry Kane in it as well. There's only I think two or three that are guaranteed to start, and I think that's Kane, um, Carl Walker, and Raheem Sterling. Yeah, this is, it is, I'm, I'm looking at the whole thing right now and I'm just like, I don't, I'm not sure how this works. Hey, but he's got a couple of matches to make it (laughs) (laughs) I think if I was an an England fan though, I would be slightly worried about that because I also think that Southgate hasn't quite settled and, and, you know, please people correct me if I'm wrong because I, I don't watch as much England as I do Wales. Um, but he doesn't seem to have settled on a on a system, on a style of play. And I think that's kind of reflected in, in the squad that he's chosen. Um, you know, there's, there's a mirage of, of different players, a different type and style of players. Um, so I think it, he's leaving it quite late. And I'm sure in his right. head he's got an idea of how he wants to play. But like I like I said, going back to to what I said earlier, like this this should be the time when you're like just finalizing those last few players, yeah. not developing a style to go forward. Exactly, yeah. Like I said, I might be wrong on that, but um, that that's definitely the way that it seems, and it's so risky to go. Um, you know, these two games against quality opposition as well. If it all goes disastrously I mean where does he go from there um but yeah I mean there's a there's a few areas um that are definitely definitely up for discussion um and like I said you, you've not seen many of a lot of these players so um perhaps it might be sort of out of your remit but definitely in goal it's um totally up for grabs I, I've seen that he's said that um Jordan Pickford will start the game against Holland. Um, but Jack Butland as well has got a really good shout of um, at that number one shirt. And then obviously Joe Hart has been traditionally the number one, but can you justify starting a keeper that can't even get in the West Ham team? Right, he hasn't had he hasn't had a start I read since November. Yeah, something like that. And he, when he did start, he went through sort of really a really bad run of form. Um, so I mean that's that's one of the other. And then they, is that why they brought Nick Pope along then? Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I guess Pope is fighting with Hart for that 
third goalkeeper um, spot because I would say that um, Butland and and Pickford have got the first two spots nailed down. But I mean, Pope I think has been he's never played in the Premier League before this this season. Um, he's only he was brought into Burnley as as number two for Tom Heaton, um, who was been injured all season and Pope has done really well he's really you know been one of the standout performing goalkeepers in the Premier League um, so it's real testament to him that he's got this call up but going to a World Cup that's a, a big jump up um, yeah absolutely you know, but then you know keep in mind that the third keeper is basically a cheerleader yeah which you know, when, when I was thinking, and somebody, some somebody you want as like that's a good guy in the dressing room, you yeah. know. And that's why I wondered whether Joe Hart would get it because he's been to a couple of major tournaments, whereas Pickford and hasn't, and I don't think Butland has or certainly hasn't played. So having Joe Hart's experience, even just to support them, um, would probably be be quite beneficial. Yeah, uh, that's. But then Joe Hart's in a really weird position because he has, what, over 70 caps and then to be relegated to, yeah. you know. Yeah, I suppose there's, there's, there's no right or wrong answer because you could count that saying, is that better than having Nick Pope with no caps? <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. I guess that all depends on Joe Hart, correct? Yeah, yeah, I, I guess. I guess. I mean, I, I don't know Joe Hart's personality. He might not be... Um, a really positive influence in in the dressing room you know if he was a positive influence that would outweigh his poor performances or lack of performances but actually if he's not a you know a really good team player or someone who would be a positive influence it's probably not worth taking him right yep um and i guess the other well i say the other there's, there's a number of um positions that are up for grab but center back as well um you know, the fact that James Tarkovsky and Alfie Mawson have been called up um, is an indicator, I think, of, of a bit of a worry area for, for England. Um, you know, I think the first choice is probably John Stones. Yeah. But, you know, he's fallen out of favour at Manchester City for a bit. Um, Joe Gomez can, can obviously play there, but he's been playing predominantly as a right-back for Liverpool. Um so, you know, it's another area that looks potentially troublesome. Um, Harry Maguire's been probably the best performing centre back in this in the squad. Um, again, there's no there's no tournament experience there, um, so it could be, you know, quite naive of of, of Southgate to um, leave out someone like Chris Smalling, for example, who has been playing fairly well for for Manchester United and and has more experience that could help these sort of younger guys in a a major tournament, which does bring a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, will he take, he'll take three center backs or will he take four? Uh, I'd imagine he would take at least four. I mean, he's, he's played at times with three at the back. So you'd want at least one or two to cover, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Especially if you if you're gonna play a three man back line, then you have to have at least four. Yeah, I guess you would be relying on um, Eric Dyer and and Joe Gomez being able to to slot in there if needed. Um, 
so I think you know that that shows the the benefits of having a, a kind of utility man, which um, yeah. I know is something that that Germany do a lot, don't they? They always sort of have a few players that can play in a number of positions. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then, then we go into the centre of midfield, and again, it's an area that no one has has got sort of a lockdown on. Um, Deli Ali probably is is the best, but he, he is more of an advanced midfielder. You know, we've gone from an England squad that in the past has had the likes of Scholes, Gerrards, uh, Lampards, you know, even people like Owen Hargreaves, um, you know, real quality players who, who you could guarantee would, would slot in there to now having Lewis Cook and Jake Livermore. Um, <laughs> and it's... I don't know. I just I can't see, I can't see England doing well this tournament. And I'm sure someone will turn that into a soundbite if they win it and tweet it to me every, <laughs> every single day. You, yeah, you'll hear it for the rest of your yeah. life. <laughs> but you know, I, I I think in football, the the spine of the team we always say is is one of the most important. You get the spine of the team right and and strong, and you you can do all right, you know. You, the the basics are there then to to build a good team around. But you know, we've just talked about three out of the four areas along the spine of the team that are totally in the open and up for grabs. Um, so I think that's a worry for Southgate. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the more you talk about it, and the more I look at it, the more I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I'm like, where where does that fit in? And you know, uh, where is Henderson gonna play? And 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 uh, yeah, I just a lot of it is confusing to me right now. Yeah, and I'm not even sure. And I again, I might be wrong. Has Southgate nominated a captain? Is I think Jordan Henderson might be the national team captain. Um, so I presume that means he's going to play. It'd be strange for the yeah. captain not to play at a World Cup. Yep. Um, but, you know, he's been probably questionable or average at best in an England shirt. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's a strange time for England. Uh, and I don't think that many England fans will be feeling particularly inspired. Um, you know, they had a poor... Uh, Euro 2016 um, and I'm quite happy to throw in that Wales got further than them so you know <laughs> that that would have hurt a lot of English fans and and I don't think that Southgate has been an appointment that has inspired many I don't think this squad is a squad that is inspiring many and um, usually around now we get the annoying British press with the back page saying you know football's coming home this is this is the year um, and there's been none of that, so I think that's quite an indicator that that there's not a positive feeling here. Yeah, that's funny. And I, I was, you took the words out of my mouth. I was about to mention that. It's usually you get this whole brouhaha ahead of time, you know. Uh, the only thing I saw today is somebody posted on Twitter the ten German bombers chant that England fans were singing in the Netherlands, which makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> but that's about, that's about all I, I've really seen. Yeah. I, 
I haven't seen a lot of um, a lot of ads either. You know, normally they come out with with some big splashy things, and and there's really been none of that. No, no, and I guess we might see a lot more. There's still a few months until the World Cup, so if you know if they sweep the Netherlands and Italy aside, we might suddenly see a huge influx of of positivity from from English fans and media. But I'm just not seeing it right now. Agreed. That makes those matches really interesting, though. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think um, it's probably these two games are as important for Southgate in terms of the style of play and, and finalising his squad as the qualifying campaign has been. I wholeheartedly agree. How um, how good were, were they in qualifying? Uh, oh, I, I feel in the top of their group. Um, yeah. as they usually do um, but I don't think they set the world alight but I, to be honest with you I don't know I'm just looking now okay I actually I'm going to stand corrected on that one they played <laughs> played 10 won 8 drew 2 lost none okay. they only conceded 3 goals but I mean the group contained Slovakia Scotland Slovenia Lithuania and Malta <laughs> so I guess I guess that is as well tells us perhaps why Southgate is or the English FA have chosen the Netherlands and Italy because they are strong opposition compared to what they've um what they face in their group. Yeah. Absolutely. One team that England will be hoping they don't meet in the World Cup is is Germany. Nossi um, Susie, I'm sure you've been been dying to to get to this this segment of the podcast that we can talk about the Germany squad. Um, first of all, what what what's your initial opinion on the squad? There, there's really only one surprise. Uh, the the inclusion of uh, Bayern Munich's Sebastian Rudi. Um, I think that uh, Yogi Love has a tendency to be loyal. Okay. Um, and that is a loyalty pick from from Yogi Love. Uh, he hasn't been really featuring for uh, Munich since Yapankis has come along. And when he does, it's terrible. He's, <laughs> okay. he's, he's lost all of his confidence. Um, and... The way that Hankus rotates his squads is he's never given a deep, he's never given a midfield in front of him that can help him along with that confidence. So uh, kind of a tough situation for Sebastian Rudy to be in, and I hate to beat down on him because I am a fan of his. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of a waste of a midfield pick for for uh, for Germany. Um, and especially with the glut of midfield talent that they have, yeah, it just feels like kind of a wasted spot. Who who would you have given it to out of interest? Oh gosh, huh. I don't even know. To be fair, like look looking at looking at what looking at what's happening right now. Um, even with him in, gosh, hmm. I'll like, get back to you on that one yeah, because I yeah. can't like off the top of my head I I can't even I can't even uh I can't even think. 
might be it might be uh he is a utility player because he plays as uh a holding midfielder or he can play at uh right back um okay. as well so whoever whoever else goes or maybe they decide to bring three strikers this time i i don't know there's there's some toss ups going to that are going to happen um, I did a podcast a, a while ago for Mia Sun Road, and we really went over the uh, guys that could make it to Russia. And it was we had sixty-one possibilities, that's which ridic- is that's slightly ridiculous, isn't it? It's it's, <laughs> it's a ridiculous amount of talent. I mean, you know, the U twenty-one squad as well. Um, as so it was most of the guys from U21 guys that had gotten called up in the past and maybe not you know in the very recent future plus guys like Manuel Neuer that are out with long term injuries and like trying to parse it down from there and um god bless him but love has nearly an impossible job mm-hmm. and especially to make everybody happy of course yeah i mean i i don't watch tons of of the Bundesliga but when I do one of the players or midfielders that I've been quite sort of impressed with um, is Max Meyer and particularly his his sort of transformation under Tedesco this season at Schalke Um, and you know and actually you know what saying that saying that (laughs) that's definitely who I would have picked and it it just wasn't it just wasn't coming into my head Uh, yeah Max Meyer has been fantastic for Schalke but the the fact that he's not not in this this squad does point to the the ridiculous amount of of talent and possible picks that that Germany and and Nova has. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's it's going to be interesting. Like I said, a lot of hearts are going to be broken at some point, um, and I'm not even sure that uh, that there won't be changes from this squad that's picked into the 26 and then 23 that will be uh, the, the preliminary and then final squad for Russia. I think there's, there's a chance maybe that uh, Philip Max from Augsburg sneaks in ahead of Marvin Plattenhardt from um, Berlin Mm -hmm. uh, playing on the left wing only because Philip Max has like a ridiculous like 13 assists in the league. He leads the league. So s- somebody with that quality at left back, which is probably the sorest spot in the squad, uh, would definitely be probably should even start, even though Jonas Hector has gotten that spot nailed down pretty well. Yeah. Um, you spoke. You spoke a little bit before. You mentioned Manuel Neuer, um, and actually listened um, to the Talking Football podcast, which you were on this week. Um, and interestingly, in that, you said you don't think Neuer will make the World Cup. I, I would. You know, I'm gonna. I'm gonna be the, the, the totally negative person here, <laughs> <laughs> and say that he might not. I just. I really feel like. Uh, we weren't told the whole truth about the extent of his injury. Mentioned three, you know, three broken bones in his foot, 
over 2017. Um, but I think it may be a little more serious than that. And uh, if you recall, his his time to come back has kept getting pushed back and pushed yeah. back and pushed back more. So now we're really getting to a crucial stage and especially coming in with Bayern and Champions League competition as well, where we are slowly reaching the point of no return. Yeah, uh, of course. So it, I, I would say like not definitely no, but don't be surprised if he's not. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Manolo is probably the best, if not top two goalkeepers in the world. Um, so if he's fit, you want him there, but you know, what stage can you put a, a cold goalie in? You know, he, he's not played football all, all season, has he? And, you know, there's very good goalkeepers like De Stegen and Leno and Trapp that are in the squad who could do a very good job, who, who will be in form and, you know, with match practice behind them, whereas Neuer might be coming in completely cold and his, one of his first games could be the first game in the World Cup group stage. Yeah, that to me doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, I wouldn't pa- I wouldn't put it past him to succeed wildly in while he does that. <laughs> but but is that a risk that's worth taking too? Yeah. Cuz yeah. imagine imagine if he goes down again straight away. And now you've got okay, if he goes, it would be it would be he Terstegen and Bernd Leno. Okay. That would be the three. Um, Ter Stegen is fantastic at two, but now you're down to two goalkeepers, and God forbid something happens. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know. It's it's it's. <sighs> I mean, obviously, if... obviously Neuer will go, but is if that's the smartest move or not? I, I can't. I can't be sure. I can't say for sure. If Neuer doesn't go, presumably Ter Stegen would be number one. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's another area, but you could have had five or six goalies, you know? Yeah, it's really, it, that's kind of fantastic. And, and of course, Germany over the years has known, has been known for their goalkeepers, right? Yeah. Like there's, there's never been a dearth of talent at, at the goalkeeping position. Um, a lot of shouts recently have mentioned bringing Sven Ulreich, who's been Manuel Neuer's backup uh in uh there was a kicker poll that just asked the public who would who they would like and surprisingly for, from throughout germany because you know everybody hates bayern unless you love them <laughs> uh they picked Ulreich to go with leno um with terstegen and and neuer so i thought that that was that's kind of interesting and neat um it, it's cool to see him getting credit for being put in the position that he was in, um, especially detailing that he was going to leave in the summer. And the only reason why he's still a member of Bayern Munich is because he hurt his elbow in preseason. God. I mean, I how, thing, how things work out. But yeah, right. I mean, you've, you've got as well then keepers like um, Timo Horn, um, Ralph Farman, and, and Loris Karius at, at Liverpool. I know he got a stick a lot earlier in the season but the last month or, or since Klopp really came out and said he's he's my number one he's been fantastic as well and 
you know, I think any of those goalkeepers would get in the England squad, for example. Right. Yeah. It's like I said, it's, it's a, it's a, an embarrassment of riches for, for Yogi Love, especially in that position. Definitely. Do you think, um, one last question on, on Germany, unless you've got anything else after that, do you think this is, is the last World Cup that we'll see um, some of the old guards, the likes of Meza Ozil, Thomas Muller, <laughs> Kadira, Kroos, um, Neuer himself, Mats Hummels? Do you think this is the last one? Ooh, that's tough. So a guy like Thomas Muller, I feel like he could play until he's 40. <laughs> yeah, fair point. He, he's almost never hurt. And he'd still score those clumsy goals. Yeah, and and yeah, he he's not beautiful anyway, so it doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> Just gets it in however it gets in. Um, guys that guys that tend towards injury, like maybe Ozil, who's a little bit, you know, maybe uh, Gunagan also has a lot of injury problems. Yeah. Tony Crow's not really so much. You may see him. Oh, Hummels and Hummels and Boateng, uh, they're center backs. Boateng hasn't been really fit over the last uh, year or so, but I, I might not rule them out. Definitely, I definitely have them in Euro and probably wouldn't rule them out uh, for the for the next World Cup. Yeah. I don't know. That's that's tough to say because you know they're they're early thirties, so. Once your body starts falling apart, it it tends to fall apart pretty quickly after that, correct? Yeah, and I guess um, if you'd asked me in in the 2014 World Cup, would we see Mario Gomez at another World Cup? I would have said no, but there he is. Yeah, that's that's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, so Love has a, a little bit of a selection problem here too. So. Timo Werner is obviously going to be the starting striker. Yeah. And generally, he only takes two because he has Thomas Müller as well, who's definitely going. Um, so now he's got a choice. He's got Sandro Wagner, who's playing backup for Lewandowski at Bayern, which actually ended up being a really smart move on his part, I think. Yeah. Mario Gomez, who has really come under form lately, and I think if his form continues... He's got that. He's got that spot over Wagner, and then Lars Stindl, who's a fantastic player. But I, you feel like just going forward, he might make the team of twenty six. But he's going to be one of the guys left behind on on the on the final team of twenty three. Mm-hmm. Um, this, of course, will have a lot to do with uh, uh, Goetze and Marco Royce have both been left out from Dortmund. Yeah. Uh, Royce, of course, don't want to rush him back, and Goetz's form just hasn't been super great. But you got to think that those two will will have a spot as well. That leaves that leaves a guy like uh, Julian Brandt probably missing. Uh, but yeah, it's that's kind of a strange thing. That'll be a race to see who can impre- impress Love the most. Um, trust me. I love Mario Gomez, and I will press that button all day long if uh, <laughs> if he makes it to Germany. I think that that's kind of a really neat comeback, uh, the way that he's been now back in the sights of the German national team. 
But do you think that's um, an indicator of perhaps that up front is Germany's weakest area? Obviously, Timo Werner is has been fantastic this season and, like you said, is definite starter below him compared to the other positions in the squad. There's not that great a, a depth, is there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been tough. I guess maybe everybody grew up in Germany and they watch guys like uh, Klose dominate for so long. Everybody was like, I am not playing striker. <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. I'm never going to get to do anything. <laughs> so maybe that's more of a more of a timing thing. Venna is still quite young, though, so yeah. could be could be the the way going forward and then we'll see after that <laughs> but you you know what i mean like everybody's yeah, like no yeah. oh, i've got no shot at doing that i'm gonna go you know i'm gonna play left wing or whatever <laughs> <laughs> okay so obviously we've talked about um germany's strength in depth throughout the squad um but i think possibly the only other nation that can match them for the strength in depth is probably the France squad. Um, I've got it in front of me here, just looking throughout throughout the squad. I mean, you know, it, the forwards, they've got Dembele, Giroud, Griezmann, Martial, Mbappe, Ben Yedder and, and Thorvin in midfield, Kante, Lamar, Matuidi, Pogba, Rabiot and Talisa. You know, it's, it's an incredible strength in depth. Um, do you think it's... Especially going forward. Yeah. Definitely. I think when you when you look at the defense, obviously that's going to be their 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 weakest point. But man, the, the battle for attacking midfield slots on that squad is just it's ridiculous. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Dembele will go if he stays healthy for Barcelona. Um, Dalvin has been great for OM. Then guys like Anthony Marshall, who's usually a call-up. Um, I'm going to mention Kingsley Coman, but I think he's out. I think he's done. He's supposed to come back too, but I don't think I don't think he'll be in the equation going forward. Okay. But then you know, uh, looking at Giroud and and Griezmann and and Mbappe, geez, it's just it's ridiculous. Definitely, and I, I think that. Um... From when I've watched France, I think they tend to play with a front three. Um, so, you know, presuming that's Dembele, Griezmann, Mbappe, you know, you're then leaving out Martial, who's been on top form this season, and that's not even thinking about Giroud, Benyeza, uh, and the others. Um, do you do you think that this after Germany, this is the best squad? I would say, I would say. Going forward, yes. Yeah, I'm just... I would say maybe, maybe you know, Pogba's had kind of a weird season. Uh, he's not been playing his best, but he is being played out of position. Um, but the midfield, it still it doesn't suck, you know. But uh, and then going back, going back into defenders, uh, it's a decent defending squad, but. It's not maybe a premier defending squad. Is that fair to say? I think so. I mean, I think in, in centre of defence, it, it probably is. And Titi Varane and Koscielny. Right. Um, I think probably 
on the flanks is probably their their weakest in defence at least. Right. Um, but I mean, even in goal, they've got three really good goalkeepers in Ariola, Larissa, Mandanda. Um, so yeah, I, I was just looking then at probably some of the players that that they've that they've left out. You know, see Lacazette, Paye. Um, who else is there? Yeah, that's it is pre- it is pretty amazing. There's yeah. so, there's so much as well. Also, you said there's, Coleman. There's so much one fun to watch too. Except for Griezmann, I can't stand that hotline bling goal <laughs> celebration. Yeah, it's, I, um, I want to chop his hands off. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just me personally. <laughs> it. I mean, it, it seems to be the last couple of tournaments so that we've been talking about France in in this sort of stature and this quality throughout their squads but it is it, time that they that they step up now isn't it and you know I think that the questions will be asked of Deschamps if, if they don't do it in this World Cup. Yeah definitely and they had a, a little bit of a difficult run-up as well in qualifying. Okay. Two so yeah, now now is really sort of the time, you know, where they've been they've been always the the sort of dark horse. So obviously the um, most exciting and most anticipated international um, tournament of, of twenty eighteen is of course the China Cup. Um, would you agree, Susie? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, obviously it, it it kicked off today. Um, and as, as a Welshman, obviously I was quite interested in in that in that game. Um, it was Ryan Giggs's first first game as Wales manager, um, and it got off to a fantastic start. Couldn't have gone much better, to be honest with you. They won six nil. Um, Gareth Bale scored a hat-trick, Sam Vogt scored two, and Harry Wilson scored one on his 21st birthday. Um, it's really hard to to judge gigs on on this match. Um, I have been very open for a, a while, well, since Coleman left, that I'm, I was very anti-Giggs' appointment. Um, I thought that there were better candidates for the job, I didn't think that he had the the coaching credentials um, to take the team forward and that he was hired basically to be a a figurehead and for his name. Um, But, I mean, I would be as happy as anyone to be be proved wrong. Um, And a 6-0 win in your first game isn't isn't too bad going. Um, Obviously, it is China. And you know you don't want to show any any disrespect to China, but it's hard to to anticipate or to judge gigs on on playing an opposition like that. Yeah, you sort of have to temper temper any really good feelings and and consider like honestly consider the strength of the competition. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. But one one thing I do think that. Um, Giggs had to be careful of it and managed properly was if if they lost to China it would be 
despite being only his first game and being a you know a, a nothing tournament it would be a disaster considering the pressure that he's already under to prove people wrong um but you know he he, he got the wing and um Gareth Bale with his hat trick became the the all-time top score top scorer in Welsh football history um which is incredible um to say the least and you know it, i think it's quite quite funny that he's done it in in Giggs's first game in charge because you know that should be our you know when Maradona was managing Argentina and, and Messi scored, you know, the most talented and arguably arguably the greatest player in the nation's history coming together to create something magical. And, you know, Giggs is the most talented Welsh player of all time. And Gareth Bale is the greatest Welsh player of all time. I think there is a slight difference in terms of what Bale has achieved and his commitment. Um, but Bale is everything that Giggs wasn't so it, it it was quite funny seeing seeing Giggs celebrate and the compare comparing the two's careers <laughs> for Wales, right? Um, but yeah, I think that what was interesting for there's two things I suppose interesting is one that Gareth Bale actually played. Um, I really didn't think he would he would go at all. Um, you know, he's had a lot of injury problems. He's been under pressure in, in Madrid because of those injury problems. And I just felt that for the China Cup, for a real nothing tournament, he wouldn't be risked. It, you know, imagine Zidane's reaction when Bale comes back injured from the China Cup. <laughs> you know, you would be pissed, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, of course. But like I, I said, you don't want anybody coming back from anything hurt at this point, right? <laughs> no, exactly. And I, but I do think it's testament to... Um, Bale's commitment to Wales and his his desire um, to to reach that personal sort of accolade of the the all time top goalscorer, um, and the second thing that I think was was quite interesting was the system that that Giggs deployed, and there's been a lot made before the match amongst you know Welsh fans and Welsh media, and part excitement, part nervous because we had no idea how Giggs would set up. You know, a lot of them, a lot of people joked that it would be a four-four-two because that's how Fergie used to like to play. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, it seems that any manager that played under Fergie is he instantly compared to or or takes all of their ideas from him. Um, but actually, he he went for the same system that Chris Coleman always went for, which was a three-four-two-one, um, that obviously has proven really successful for us. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see whether he he keeps that system or whether it's because he's not had much time with the squad. Um, because I did think he would go for a more, well, I was going to say a more attacking system, but we won 6-0, so it seems unfair and unjust to say that. Um, but I think in future we'll definitely see a, a more attacking, probably a flat-back 4, maybe a 4-2-3-1 or, or, or something like that. Um so, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting and really... It's always exciting to win a game 6-0. Um, the, <laughs> other, the other teams in the tournament are Uruguay and Czech Republic. So, it'll be interesting to see how that um, game pans out. I think that's tomorrow. 
and then the final is on either Monday or Tuesday. Um, so I suspect we'll meet Uruguay, and that'll be a much much tougher test for for gigs, and you know that'll be a real much more of a realistic indicator of of what um, how he's going to play the team and how he he might fare as manager. Um, so yeah, I mean what. I wouldn't ask you what your views are on, on gigs or whales, Susie, but I mean, one of my hesitations and reservations about gigs was his lack of managerial experience and getting the name, getting the job just on his name. But you correct me if I'm wrong, but quite a few managers in German history have been ex-players who've got the job because of who they are. Is that right? Um. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Uh... Notably, <laughs> most notably, one would say uh, Jurgen Klinsmann above yeah. pretty much pretty much everybody because I'm sure that's who you're who you're aiming at. <laughs> uh, and uh, this sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. I mean, you could say with uh, Zidane as well at Real Madrid. Yeah, you know those sort of guys on their reputation. Maradona even at Argentina. Um. So it, it, and you know, it it can or cannot work. I mean, Klinsmann was great in the 2006 World Cup uh, with Germany and then abysmally failed at Bayern Munich. And then uh, depending on who you talk to was either kind of good or completely horrible for the United States where a guy like Zidane is... Uh, even though Real Madrid has gone through a rough patch this season, um, has still proven to be a good, a great coach and a talented coach for that side. Yeah. And someone like Maradona, who I don't, I don't know. I don't think that worked out very well at Argentina, <laughs> did <laughs> where he was more just like a drunk cheerleader, you know? <laughs> um, so, so there are definitely there, you know, but learn, there are worse people to learn under than Sir Alex Ferguson, I would say. Yeah, but I mean, not many of his <laughs> ex-players have gone on to be really, really good managers or successful managers. Right, right. So, which, which is interesting when you know, he, he probably is top three greatest managers of all time, certainly within Britain. Um, yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, Steve Bruce comes to mind, Mark Hughes, Roy Keane, um, Steve McLaren, you know, he was on his coaching staff. None of them have been that successful. Um, Gary, Gary Neville at Valencia, of course. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens with gigs, what happens with Wales. Um, it's a really important time um, for us in that, you know, we... We qualified for Euro 2016, you know, the first tournament in 60 years or so that we, we qualified for. But now we're, we're kind of in a stage of transition in that we peaked and a lot of our squad are starting to age. So, you know, there are young talents that, that are coming through, like Ben Woodburn, David Brooks, Harry Wilson that scored today. And, you know, one of the ones I'm particularly most excited about is Ethan Ampadu at, that plays for Chelsea. And, you know, it's a lot of responsibility for 
for Giggs in, in his first real managerial role. We'll ignore the four games as caretaker manager of United. It's big responsibility to to develop the future of, of the country and our football talent. But it'll be interesting to see see what happens. I'm sure we'll um we'll revisit it at, at some time and I'm sure I'll have plenty of rants about it in, in this podcast. <laughs> Best of luck going forward. Yeah. I mean that's gotta be that's gotta be a that's just tough to have to develop and sit there and watch that, I suppose, you know? <laughs> it is. I guess every... I mean, Germany went through a similar um, rebuilding stage a few years, well, prob- probably about 12, 15 years ago now, wasn't there, where, you know, they really entrusted a lot of young players and they're reaping the awards now. Yeah, absolutely. And and through that, they've built kind of... A, it's a self-sustaining machine at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if... Uh, Wales can can reach that that level but here's here's hoping yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey if if you get close you're doing really 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 <laughs> well <laughs> uh well we'll call it a day there I think um thanks for your time Susie how how can people find you okay so um I am going to be writing articles once again uh for our our new project the shortpass.com uh, you can find me through the Twitter site there at the Short Pass as well. My personal Twitter is the Susie Shaf, T H E S U S I E S C H A A F, and you can find me there blathering on about pretty much everything. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you can also check me out on miasunrot dot uh, com. I do host the Bayern Munich podcast there, and that uh, Twitter handle is at M-I-A-S-A-N-R-O-T underscore C-O-M. Perfect. Well, thanks again, Susie, and I'm sure we'll um, we'll chat again about international football soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. It's a pleasure to chat. Thank you for joining us. The Short Pass launches on April 1st. Find us at theshortpass.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Short Pass. Thank you.